All right. Thank you so much, Quartet. That was very much a blessing. And I'm glad we didn't have to wait a year to hear them. Amen? Aren't you glad that they sang for us today? Are you glad to be here? Amen, amen. I'm serious, guys. It is good to be with you in the house of the Lord today. All right. Now, we, for our visitors today, we are in the second week of a series that we are calling Lights, Camera, Acts. And what we're doing is we're taking a snapshot, a short movie, looking at Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 about the early church. How did, how did they do church? Um, how did they pray? What did they do? How did they minister? Hoping that we will learn and implement in the 21st century what they did in the first century. Now, the message today is entitled, The Offensive Gospel. Now, I, I, boy, I know we're running a little bit late on time-wise, but I thought this was so neat. I looked this up today because I thought it was really cool. There's a word that, that they call a uh, homophone. Now, homophone has the same sound as another word, but spelled differently and has a different meaning. An example is the word pray. Pray like a rabbit being chased by a coyote and pray like Dwight and Marsha. That was your best hope for a laugh today, guys. I, that, Brent, I feel your pain, baby. I feel your pain. All right. Then there's a homograph. A homograph is a word that has the same spelling as another word, but has a different sound and different meaning, such as lead and lead. Lead, L-E-A-D, and lead is L-E-A-D. Now, I've been to Africa, and I've been, I've been like 17 countries, as a matter of fact, and I'm not really good with languages, but did you know the American language is one of the hardest languages to learn? And this is why. If you saw this in print, you could look at it this way. So, get the lead out and lead. Or you get the lead out and lead. Because it's the same word spelled the same way. If you're a foreign language going, what? See, it's a confusing language. But here is a homophone. Homo, homo M. And this is it. This is a word that is said or spelled the same way, but has a different meaning. And that is the word offensive. So I'm at Moody Bible Institute going to pastor's conference. Every May I go to this pastor's conference. And you have to pick out the, the, you know, the things you want to do while you're there, the breakout sessions. And so I see one called the offensive church. So I said, okay, all right. So the main common word is offensive is meaning offend somebody. And so I bet they're going to tell us how not to offend the lost world. So I go in there, you know, thinking I'm going to hear a, a lesson about how the church should not be offensive. I get in there, and it's a lesson on evangelism because they were speaking of not offense as it offends you, but on the offense. See the dual meaning there? If, I, if something's offensive, you find it very offending to yourself. It hurts you. But also offensive is like the, oh, characterized by attack, uh, an offensive war. And so you're probably saying today, so, Dwayne, you know, your little breakout sessions, like, so what is it? What's the gospel? Is it, is it offensive? Does it hurt people? Is it hard sometimes? Or is it like an attack on the go? Yes. Yes, it's both. Now, see, we don't get that in culture today. Because what we want to do is we want to sugarcoat sin and we want to sugarcoat Jesus and make it acceptable and pleasing to everybody and it's not supposed to hurt anyone. And because of that, we have generation after generation after generation of people who pray a prayer. And again, believe me, I'm not opposed to the salvation prayer. But they pray a prayer, but there's no change. There's no repentance. There's nothing real in their life. 
So they stick around six months and leave, and we bury them, you know, 15 years later, and we say, yeah, they prayed a prayer, you know, when they were 15. And the gospel is so much more than that. The gospel is so much more than that. I mean, we should be, you know, there's parts of the gospel, and you're going to hear this today, there are parts of the gospel that are offensive, okay? We're going to hear this week and next week, but all of the gospel should be on the offense, you know, Jesus said, you know, when Peter said, you know, he said, Jesus said, you know, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, well, I, you know, they, we know you're the Christ. That's who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And Jesus said, you know, Peter, blessed are you because, you know, flesh and blood didn't relate to you. My father in heaven did. And, and listen, on that truth that I am the Christ, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, now gates are not offensive weapons. Church, you need to hear this. Now, now you need to understand, if you go messing with Satan on your own, you're going to get ate up. But in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, Satan has to flee. Satan has to flee. We can actually, you know, when Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail, that means the gospel's on the offense charging the gates of hell with a water pistol, if you don't mind. In the power of Jesus Christ. So we will look at today a sermon that Peter preaches. This is not Pentecost. This is sermon number two. A sermon Peter preaches. And in this, we see the, the gospel and the offense. And we see the offensive gospel. In Acts chapter 3, verse number 11 through 19. And then we're going to hopefully have time to grab verses 4, 1 through 4 in chapter 4. So Acts chapter 3, verses uh, 11 through 19. Here's what we read. Let me read verses 11 and 12 together. While he was holding on to Peter and John. Oh, oh, wait, I've got to back up. Oh, I've got to back up. You don't know the story. You don't know what we talked about the first week. The first week, we heard about a guy who is sitting by the gate. He, you know, he's crippled and was born that way. And this guy's like 40-something years old. Okay? The Bible tells us that. So for the last 40 years or 30 years, they've hauled old John down to the, to the gate there. And he would beg for alms. That was his life. He couldn't walk. He couldn't stand. They would haul him. And that's how he made his living. He made his life begging. So he's sitting there and he sees two guys, John and Peter, coming toward him. And they said that beggars had the ability to see a good target. So apparently John and Peter look like good targets. And so, so he sees them and they come toward him and he asks for an arm. He asks for help. Can you give me something? And Peter said, look at me. Look at me. And, and the reason why, because beggars, because he expected money... We even go, you got your first target, you're looking for the next target. So he said, focus on me. And he said, silver and gold I don't have. I don't have what you think you need. But in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Peter took him with his right hand and lifted him up. And the Bible says that his ankles received strength. Uh, the, the verbiage there in the Greek is that the bones were just disjointed and they came together. And he started leaping and walking around. This is really cool because if he's been lame from, from birth, how much do you know about walking? Uh, that'd be zero. So we see the miracle of his bones being healed, but we also see the miracle of him learning to walk. And like he's like, like I said, you know, he's just jumping around, prancing around. Incredible miracles happen to him. And so this obviously calls a lot of attention. 
So the Bible says in verse number 11 that, that he was clinging, he was holding on to Peter and John, and all the people were greatly amazed and ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, that's what's really cool, by the way. This is something you need to know. The Bible throws in little details like that. Luke, of course, wrote Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostles, what happened in the early church. And, and details add credence to this. As Luke was writing this, again, thinking Gentile but thinking Jew, a Jew would read that and go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like the, the yellow brick road leading to Oz and, you know, it's fairy tale. You know, a Jew reading this could go, oh, yeah, I've been to Solomon's Colonnade. I know exactly. It's on the east side, outside the outer court there. I know exactly where it is. So, so he was, the people were amazed. They're running toward Peter and Solomon's Colonnade. Now, watch this. When Peter saw this, now time out. This is one of the things I want you to write down. Peter, now this is the same guy. Who, not too long before the crucifixion, this is the guy that, you know, when Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem and die and all that. And and Peter says, oh, no, you're not. Oh, no, no, sir. That's not what's on. And Jesus said to this guy, get thee behind me, Satan. It's that guy. It's the guy that, that when, you know, he said, Jesus, I will never deny you. And Jesus said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Three times you're going to deny me. No, no, you got the wrong guy. You must mean Brent, not me. Okay. So, sure enough. I mean, it's like a middle school girl. Aren't you with him? No, no, no. That guy, that guy that totally denied Jesus, now preaches again. He preached on Pentecost, and that was the difference, the Holy Spirit. He preached on Pentecost, and 3,000 people were saved. So Peter sees now another opportunity. When he saw a gathering of people, the first thing that popped in Peter's brain was another opportunity to tell about Jesus. Now, church, well, first off, individuals, believers, church, hear me. That's what we're supposed to do. Our life is a series of journeys looking for opportunities to share Jesus Christ. It can happen at church, and hopefully it does happen at church, but it must happen outside the church. See, some of y'all are going today. Okay, now, Dwayne, explain to me one more time. Why are you taking a perfectly good Sunday night and showing a movie? Because there will be people who will come to a movie who won't come to hear me preach. And in this movie is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's the hope of the gospel. So the reason we do a movie on a Sunday night is we're seizing an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Explain to me one more time just what we need. Another ministry, safe family, what? Yes. 45 people up in the lower upper fellowship hall today wanted to know more about safe family. How, How can we be? Listen, you'll probably never be more like Jesus than when you are working in the safe family program. When you're taking hurting people and coming alongside of them and loving them. Children who perhaps have not had a hug in a long time. Moms and dads who see no way out and they say, you being Jesus in their lives. Why do you say family? Because it's an opportunity to be Jesus. And could we go on? Blessing baskets in just a week or so. Giving out food in the name of Jesus. Back to school. Uh, All-star. Thousand people come through our building every week and a chance to be around Jesus people. That's why we do. Peter had the unique ability to see that. We need to see it also. We need to recognize opportunities to be and to show Jesus to a lost world. So, so Peter then saw this. He addressed the people. He said this. Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Pause. I think, I'm, okay, well, what's he saying? I think he's saying this. Men of Israel, 
You know, the, the nation of Israel, um, the one who knows the God who one day led your ancestors out of Egypt. Remember that big God? Um, the one who, when they were backed up against the Red Sea, uh, used Moses and parted the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry ground, and, 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 the, and all the Egyptians drowned. That big God? Uh, the big God that led you through the wilderness and fed you every day with a thing called manna? Uh, uh, the, the big God who dried up the, the, the Jordan River so you could cross over on dry ground? Uh, the, the big God who one day had you march around a walled city so he could knock the walls down for you, and you can go and conquer that city? That God? You're that big God? See, they were amazed at this because they had let their God get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. The reason they were amazed is they let God get little. And God gets little when all we become is a group of people who show up and sing three songs, have a special, hear a message, go home, never impacting our lives and never impacting anybody else's life. God gets small quick. Why are you amazed at this, he says. But then look what happens. Or, or, he says, why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power and godliness? I think Peter's going, he sees the look in their eye going, oh, they think we did it. Now then, preachers, teachers, deacons, custodians, um, you name it. The last thing you want is for people to think that you do it and God didn't do it. When we preach a message, I appreciate it when you say nice message, pastor, but you and I need to come to an understanding. You and I both know that it's God, not me. When Trenton preached last, preached last week, I understand he did an incredible job. Trenton understands that wasn't Trenton, it was God. So, so don't, look, don't look to leaders and don't look to men as if we do something. See, the problem is churches, I, I'm so proud of what we do with, with you know, Baptist Children's Home and all that, but you understand that when we turn in the offerings, all we're doing is giving back to God what's already His. It's all about God. It's not about us. We can boast in nothing. That's what grace is all about. We can boast in nothing, only what He does. So, so Peter says, now listen, don't think that we do this in all, all power. You know, we're the guys that were sitting at the bottom of the hill. And, and y'all came and said, hey, would you cast out this demon? And it went, psst. I mean, we have no power but the power of Christ. We have no godliness but the godliness of Christ, that's all we got. You know, sometimes we say, got any more? Don't need any more. When you've got the power of Christ and the godliness of Christ, you've got it all. So, so he says to them, he says, don't think that we did anything. He says, matter of fact, watch this. He says, look at verse number 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers. And see, he's gathering them in. He's, he's showing them on something common ground. They have a lot not in common, but they have common ground. Okay, so so listen, guys, you, you, you know the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? oh yeah, yeah, we know the God. And notice the word are there, oh you are. See, the same God that you say you serve, it's the same God that we serve. See, the Muslims think that Muhammad's the same, or Allah's the same as creator God, and he's not. He's just not. Okay, so, so he, the, but Peter draws the parallel and says, I want you to understand that the God you serve and the God I'm fixing to tell you about, they're the same. They're the same. So the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus Christ, Paul's. It would be very easy, and I've called this fellow John, but since we have a John in the story, we'll call him Joe. It would be very easy to look at Joe, who is now standing there, and he can't hold still. 
He's got the dancing thing going on. I mean, he's not, he's not walked before. He's not stood before. He said, I think I'm just going to walk. You know, just I've never walked before. This is, this is wonderful. Now, that, that fella, okay, the, the one we're talking about there, the one, now listen, listen, it's very important you realize that it wasn't about Joe. I know, I know, I know. You think it's about Joe. It's about, it's about Joe that Joe got healed. It's not about Joe. It's about Jesus. It's what it says. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus. This is, listen, what God did a few minutes ago was glorify His son Jesus. Now listen, you know what God wants to do today? Glorify His Son, Jesus. The mission of our church and our own personal mission is that we might glorify Jesus. Now listen, that's something we battle in churches today. We want to turn inward. We want to turn inward. I want the church to be about me. I want it to be about me. But God says, no, I want the church to be about Jesus. I want Jesus to be glorified. So, so we have it. He said, now listen, this God, we're serving the same God. It's our God. Okay. You need to understand something though, is that he, they, he glorified Jesus. Now, back then you're going, this is a good sermon. This is not bad. You know, brings in a common ground. That's a good thing. Reigns them in to get, gain their trust and gain their confidence. That's good. And then he points out a very important fact that this is not about, about Joe. It's about Jesus. Yay. This ain't just this our television ministry. Okay. But then he does something. You're not going to believe this. Look what he does. Whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, which, by the way, is equivalent with God. You denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you. Guys, you remember, it's just been a few weeks. Did you remember, you know, you, you were sitting there and, and you said, you know, we'll take Barabbas over God. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, that's what y'all did. And he goes on and says this. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the source of life. Isn't that play on words? You killed the source of life. Jesus, God summons the source of life and you killed him. Now, by now you're going... This, they obviously didn't take, Peter didn't take Dale Carnegie's course, How to Win Friends and Influence People. In fact, probably, and probably you're going there, you know, Pastor, if you preach that kind of message, we'd have a short deacons meeting because, you know, that's very offensive. Do you think Peter was just being mean? You think Peter should have stuck to fishing? No. He's doing something very, 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 very important. Something we've lost sight of. He is trying to show them their sin. He is trying to show them where they have failed God. Because you see, you've got to recognize the fact you're a sinner before you can ever experience God's grace. And you need to know that. If somewhere back in your past, you know, you accepted Christ, you've got to go back and, and ascertain that. Yeah, you know what? I came to a point. I always ask, you know, even little children, do you understand what sin is? Have you ever sinned? Do you understand you need forgiveness for your sin? So it's very important what Peter does. And we don't see this in America today. We want, again, we want to sugarcoat Jesus and make him, you know, the, we want to make him the, the vending machine where we put a quarter in and Jesus gives us what we want. We want to make him Santa Claus. We sit in his lap and just tell him what we want and bang, we get it. 
We don't make him the Easter bunny where we go around and hunt eggs with him. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the savior of the world. And we must understand, we've got to tell people, yes, it's nice to know, Jesus. does Jesus make your life better? In a sense, spiritually, obviously. But frankly, sometimes your life can get worse. Let me give you an example. You get a guy in Niger where, where Islam is so strong, and if he claims Jesus Christ, you think his life gets better? Uh, that would be a no. You can't get work. No one will marry your daughter. You can't even be buried in a Muslim cemetery. You think his life got better? Not in the physical sense. But in the eternal sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we've, we've lost this. We've got to help. Now, I know, again, I told you, I did this last time. I, I, you, know, you don't walk on the door and, and go, you're going to hell. That is probably not going to work. There's a, there's a certain amount of diplomacy required. Peter, you're going to see Peter use diplomacy in just a moment. But we've got to help people. Listen, listen, listen. We've got to help people see their sin. Because if they don't see their sin, they can't get saved. You're not ready for salvation and to acknowledge the fact that you've sinned. Hugely, hugely important. So Peter wasn't being mean here, but he's teaching us something very, very, very important. That we need to show people that they're sinners. And that's exactly what he does to these friends here. You deny the holy and righteous one and ask to have a murderer given to you. You killed the source of life. Now, this is huge. Watch, watch, watch. He's making a transition. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. See, the bad news is you killed the source of life. The good news is, is God raised him from the dead. And we are here to testify this. You know what you see over and over again in the book of Acts? The resurrection. See, the cross is wonderful. The cross is the, the perpetuation, the atonement for our sin. It was on the cross when Jesus paid the price for our sin. It was on the cross where he bore the full wrath of God. The full payment was made for our sin on the cross. But what would it be without the resurrection? We could hope. He said he was the son of God and he died a very horrible death. We could hope he was the son of God. But let me tell you something. When a guy, I love what Annie Stanley says this, when a guy predicts his own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you go with that guy. And Jesus foretold, I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'm getting back up. Folks, the proof of who Jesus was, was the resurrection. And the other church knew this. Man, he rose, he arose, he arose. And he goes, now listen, we saw this. I didn't read her Reader's Digest. I, 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 didn't, I didn't look up the encyclopedia or Wikipedia and see it on the internet. I mean, this happened, guys, listen, this happened a few weeks ago. And we were there. We, we were there and we saw the body. Now, Peter was from a distance. I know he ran, but I'm sure he's watching from a distance. John was up close. We saw him, you know, breathe his last breath. We saw the clouds come in. We saw all of that. We saw him die. And, and we know he was in the tomb. And we were there. And we went to the tomb and it was empty. We saw this. This is not hearsay. This is proof. And that's huge, guys. If there's one thing you really need to be confident in, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't need to do Easter once a year. We need to do Easter every single week. We celebrate not a dead Savior, but a resurrected Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's who we worship. That's who we celebrate. So Peter says, man, we saw this. And then he transitions to Job. Here's what he says. We touched on this verse uh, two weeks ago. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Now, let's pause there. That's a little wordy. Now, you do understand, Peter wouldn't have to explain this, but I need to explain it to you. In the culture of the first century church, a person's name represented who they were. My name says, I'm Dwayne. I'm in the bathtub drowning. Boy, it's weak, Brent. It's weak. Weak, dude. Weak. Okay. Dwayne, you know, you may say Dwayne, yeah, the preacher. Dwayne, Judy's husband. Dwayne, Dwayne. But in the, in the early church, and actually in the Old Testament too, the name represented the whole person. Who that person was. Now, let me do something without violating Scripture in any way. Watch this. Let's read that verse again. The first part. By faith in Jesus, Jesus has made this man strong. Whom you see and know. I told you two weeks ago. You got to understand. This man had faith in Jesus. And Jesus made this man strong. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. It wasn't Joe. It was Jesus that did this. See, it was a whole deal. In fact, he says this. Watch what he says. Whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him, Jesus, has given him, Joe, this perfect health. Inside and out. See, our goal in safe families is not to just make a situation better. The goal of safe families is to make a situation better, leading them to salvation in Jesus Christ. Listen, listen. Joe got new legs. Now, this is good. Joe got new legs. But Joe got a new heart. Something happened on the inside and something happened on the outside. You've got to grasp that. Don't think, again, verse 16 makes this clear. I'm not trying to pull this out of stratosphere somewhere. Makes it very clear. By faith in Jesus, Jesus made him whole. This perfect health he has. He's, he's well physically and he is well spiritually. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. See, and it's like us. When we are saved, our inside is changed. Can I have an Amen. You did know that, didn't you? We are regenerated. Jesus said to, to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So when we trusted Christ as Savior, our inside changed. But when your inside changed, a natural result is an outside change. So if you say you got an inside change and your outside ain't changed, you may want to make sure that you really changed on the inside because you ain't changed on the outside. Now, if you get changed on the inside and your outside changed, that's a confident statement of what Jesus Christ has done through His amazing grace in your life. We don't change on the outside so we can get favor with God because we can't get favor with God because He takes God's grace. And through God's grace, He changed on the inside. And because we're changed on the inside, we can change on the outside. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It's huge. The man was perfectly made whole. You see him. There he is. Praising God. And walking. Now watch what Peter does. This is incredible. Look at verse number 17. And now brothers. <laughs> it's gone from going. You killed, the, you killed the author of life. You denied Jesus. And you took a murder instead of God. You did. You did. And then he says this. And he, watch. He, he makes a transition. And now brothers. 
I know that you did it in ignorance. Now, let me, again, we're going to run short on time, so I'm trying to be careful. You did this in ignorance. Now, you understand something. What kind of Messiah were the Jews expecting? A military king. Their picture of the Messiah was Messiah was to come, overthrow whatever oppressing force there was. In this case, it was Roman government. And he was going to reign in Israel. He was going to be a king forever in Israel. That's what they were expecting. What did they get? The exact opposite. They got a guy who said, if you want to be great, you got to wash people's feet. If you want to be first in the kingdom, you got to be last. Oh, oh, oh. If somebody slaps your face, oh, why don't you turn the other cheek? And what these Roman soldiers tell you to carry the pack a mile, that's required. Why don't you carry two miles? They, that's what Peter says. They did it in ignorance. And your leaders did too. They were expecting somebody told totally different Messiah. We understand that. But you also need to understand this. This is so pretty. Look at verse 18. But what God predicted through the mouth of all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Jude, there you go. That his Messiah would suffer. He has fulfilled in his own way. The sovereignty of God. You've got to understand something. What was predicted in scriptures. Surely, Isaiah 53, surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. They missed Isaiah 53. And because they missed Isaiah 53... They had a conception that the Messiah would come as king. And by the way, he is king and he will reign. Just not quite yet on earth. He's already reigning in heaven. So, so Peter says, I know you weren't expecting this, but that's what came. But, but God has worked out a plan. There was not one millisecond of the crucifixion, and let's just say Passion Week. There was not one millisecond of Passion Week. Uh, the Lord's Supper, the washing of the feet, the, the agony in the garden, the, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the, the crucifixion, um, uh, the, the resurrection. There was not one nanosecond that was not controlled by God. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Not one nanosecond. And you know what that means, by the way? Just so you'll know. There's not one nanosecond in your life that God's not in control of yours either. Just like He was in control of that, He's in control of this. It's incredible. So He says, you need to understand what God was doing. And then He puts a bow on it. He says this. Therefore, repent. Repent and turn back. This is so big. We lose, we've lost this. We somehow have presented a, 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 a plan of salvation, a gospel plan that, and that allows you to not turn from your sin. Guys, without repentance, there's no salvation. You have to repent. It means, you know, we, we, we illustrate this way, but this really doesn't do it justice. You know, you see me probably do this. If David, if, uh, if uh, Dan Clay was to go back and do all the sermons I've done, he'd see this over and over again where, you know, you're walking one way and you turn around. And that's repentance, yes. But it means not only just a change of direction, it's a change of attitude. 
You change, you change your attitude about sin. That's what repentance is. You, you change your attitude about who you are. You change your attitude about who Jesus is. You change your attitude about your future with Jesus. Because, you know, again, upon, upon choosing to follow Jesus, you, have you figured out yet? You can't follow Jesus and follow you. You've got to follow Him. His actions, His attitudes, His teachings. So He says, repent and turn back so that your sins, your sins may be wiped out. Colossians in chapter 2, verse 14. I, I use the King James. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and nailed it to His cross. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ by God's amazing, wonderful grace, not because we deserve it, not because we're good, not because we earn God's favor, not because we're bad, not because we go to church three times a week, not because we get bunches of money, but when we experience repentance and forgiveness and grace, God blots out my sin. It's taking, it's taking a piece of paper and dumping black, permanent ink all over it until it's obliterated. And that's what Jesus did for us. And some of y'all ain't got this yet. But that day, whenever it was for you, when you truly experienced God's grace, you repented and experienced God's grace, all the sins of your past were wiped out. Someone say amen. All the sins you're going to do today are wiped out. All the sins you're going to commit Wiped out. That's why you don't want to have to worry about losing your salvation. Once you truly experience God's grace, your sins are obliterated. Not just the ones you remember to pray about. Not the ones you go, oops, God, about. When you trust Jesus Christ and experience His grace, your sins are wiped out. Though our sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. They'll be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's incredible, guys! And that really makes, that opens the door for grace. Because I know you do, you do what I do. You know, you, you, you do a, have you ever done a, a spiritual stupid? Yeah. And so I've already told you, I mean, God, I talk out loud. I talk to myself. Somebody said, do you talk out yourself? I said, yeah, I talk to myself. He goes, do you answer? I said, yes, I do. So I'm going up the stairs and I was just feeling stupid. And I said, God, and before I can get another word out, it seemed like he said, Dwayne, do you understand grace? Do you, really, do you really understand that when you pull a spiritual stupid, I'm up there going, ah, ah, ah. do you understand my grace really is sufficient for you and you don't lose my favor when you mess up? Do you understand that? Do you understand that when you do good, you're under grace, and when you mess up, you're under grace? There's a lot of freedom in that for some of y'all. Because some of you are in bondage, not because of God or His Word, but because your preconceived notion about God's performance love, not God's unconditional love. God loves us unconditionally. And He will not let us go. As they were speaking to the people, the Bible says now in verse 4. Oh, can I back up? I got just, just a quick comment. That your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come. From the presence of the Lord. When we start understanding what God's done for us and truly believe in it, it's refreshing. It's refreshing. Religion and rule keeping is a desert. Grace 
is an overflowing fountain that refreshes us. You get that, folks. Don't you go home without that today. It's amazing. See, God wants to refresh us. God wants to refresh us. So he goes on for five more verses. And in verse 20, 26, he closes with this. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. That's the gospel. God sent Jesus that we can turn from our evil ways. It's the gospel. But real quickly, the story doesn't end there. In, in chapter 4, and y'all need to hear this too. Now, as they were speaking to the people, okay, Peter's like doing the preaching thing. The priest, the commander of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. Because they were provoked, they were angry, that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead, using Jesus as the example. So the cops show up. And by the way, only just a few weeks ago, Jesus was crucified. Would you like to know who was in kind of in the middle of all that? Not all the priests, but a lot of them. I think, I think the temple police are the ones who went to the garden and arrested him before they turned him over to Pilate, the Roman guard. So the same police that arrested Jesus in the garden now show up at Peter's sermon. That yeah, made for a short sermon. And then the Sadducees. Now Sadducees were, were and you see it here, because they were provoked that they were teaching the people proclaim the resurrection from the dead. They were preaching hope. Society doesn't like it when we preach hope. Society in America don't like it when we preach hope. They don't care if we talk about God. They, we talk about church all day long. Oh, they just love when we talk about rule keeping. But they don't like us talking about Jesus. Because see, Jesus is hope. Religion is hopeless. Jesus is nothing but hope. That's a good place to say amen. So they're all provoked up. And Sadducees, you can't resist this. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's why they were sad, you see. True. So they show up. And look what happens. So God intervened miraculously and killed the priest, killed the commander of the police, and killed the Sadducees, and Peter continued his message. Isn't that the way it's supposed to go? I mean, Peter's doing his deal. Peter's doing what God wants him to do. But that isn't what it says, is it? It says that Peter and John were seized and put into custody until the next day. And since it was already evening. Just a second. God, um, I think you were not on the job that day. I mean, Peter's doing exactly what you want him to do. And God, you allowed them to get arrested. Um, do you want to change that? Don't we do that to God? Come on, come on. When, our, when the story don't go just right the way we want it to go, don't we say, hey, God, uh, when are we going to figure out God's smarter than us? When are we going to figure out that he's God and we're not? When are we going to figure out we're the creator and he's the creator? He wasn't off the job. See, this is, this is just one more domino that we're going to see fall into place over the next three weeks. 
God knew exactly what he was doing. And may I say this? And we'll see in a couple of weeks. Peter and John weren't worried. And when things happen in our lives that we don't understand and we can't explain, doesn't mean it's not hard. I know it's hard. Hey, God's in control. He's got a plan. He's working that plan out. And not one nanosecond of your circumstances are outside the control of God. Not one nanosecond. So they seize him and they lock them up. Here's the bottom line. Here's what it's all... Church, hear me. This is what it's all about. But, verse 4, but many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, the first time... You would hire... You may not like Peter because he's kind of brash and crash and stuff. But you'd hire him for your preacher. Because the first time he preached, 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 men got saved. The second time he preached, and he didn't get finished the sermon. Terry, it was a short sermon. He got cut off at the pass. He may have gone for another hour. But the cops showed up. Even so, 2,000 more men got saved. The bottom line is, if the bottom line was Peter and John's safety... If the bottom line was, hey, we want to you know, make sure everything's okay, that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is, is that 2,000 people that day trusted Jesus Christ. 2,000 men trusted Jesus that day. Did, Roger, did you say something about ministry involving risk up there upstairs? You did, didn't you? You know, if you choose to be a safe family, it might, it might not be easy, I bet. Didn't you say a lot of those kids who come may have some emotional scarring? Most of them come out of very hard homes and circumstances. Have you figured out yet that when you follow Christ in ministry, that involves risk? Well, not really. Because he's in control. He's working his plan out. So here's the bottom line. There are two kinds of people in here. There are folks that were in the crowd that day, and, and you may have heard about Jesus before, and, and you know, you say, I'm not going to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites, and what about those preachers, and what about dinosaurs, and what about the ark, and what about this, and what about that? But today, maybe, maybe you heard enough truth that historically confirmed that there was a man named Jesus, a guy we shouldn't even know about. Because he was raised in a, in a, 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 as Andy Stanley says, the armpit of, of the Roman Empire. And we know, we, have two, we know more about Jesus than we do any Roman emperor. We know that he died on a cross. And he cried out, it is finished. Indicating the price was paid for our sin. And on the third day, that he resurrected. And maybe that makes sense to you today. Wait, wait, wait. I, that makes sense. I'm not sure about the rest of it. That makes sense. We want to give you a chance and opportunity today to come down and take old Brother Brent by the hand. And, and you got lots of questions. I, I didn't come near to answering all your questions. Never will. Never, never could. Never could. But maybe we want to take Brent by the hand and say, Okay, I want to know about this Jesus guy. How do I follow him? Because again, if a guy predicts his death and resurrection and then pulls it off, I kind of want to go with that. I kind of want to go with that. And we've got, we'll take the Word of God. And we'll, you know, we'll try to answer your questions. Maybe it's, maybe it's the first step in a journey today. Maybe, okay, I'm not ready to make that decision yet, but thank you for helping me understand.
And maybe they'll start that journey toward Jesus. So that's part of our decision time. If you're here today and, and you've never experienced this grace I've talked about, I use that word grace a whole lot these days because it's so cool, so wonderful. Maybe today you won't experience God's grace. No matter what you've done, His grace will forgive you. Through His grace, you can be forgiven. I said, well, I'm not sure i got that much faith. It's really cool about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Have you ever thought about this? For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And if you look at verse 16 again, so the faith that comes through him. If I understand it right, even the faith to believe comes from God. How cool is that? You're sitting there saying, I don't have the faith. God will give you that faith. So if you're here today and you never experienced that grace, that's number one. And number two is a, all of us, Peter's and John's sitting here today. And it's a challenge to simply look for the opportunities that God gives us. And be willing to walk through those doors, those opportunities, to share what God has done for you. So many of you have gone through difficult circumstances. Um, Joe Pearson, multiple relationships, but Tom Frank's first cousin. Age 65, bam, massive stroke. Goes into eternity. Some of you are walking through that right now who definitely know Jesus. And you'll have opportunities because Joe was a very popular person in the community. You may have opportunities to say, did you hear about Joe? Yeah, I know about Joe. And that may open a God opportunity right there. When I thought about people sitting in the congregation who've lost a son. Just a few weeks ago, Dwight and Marsha lost their son. And there'll be opportunities. We, we shared that that day. The opportunities to share through that. Would you be willing to be a Peter and John and simply look for opportunities and then as God gives you ability and grace, share in those opportunities. And I, I want you to know my heart. I think you do. That's the kind of church I want us to be. I don't want to be a has-been church. I told Judy, one of the concerns I have is that we become a, I used to, we used to be a mission church. I want to make sure we're opening up new fronts everywhere. New, this ministry. Uh, I, I want us to be the kind of church that's on the cutting edge of ministering to people. I want us to look for opportunities to be Jesus and do Jesus. Would you set that challenge today? Now we're going to have this time of decision. If you've trusted Christ and never been baptized, it's certainly not necessary for, for salvation, but it's a great step of obedience. We can tell you about that. Perhaps you come to our family, church family, every week, and you're saying, you know what, I'd like to be a part of this, this group, this, this church family. We can tell you how that can happen. In a moment, we're going to open up the altar. And, you know, if you need to pray, this is it's not, you know, it's like I can only pray at the altar. But it's something special. And I promise you this, if you want someone to pray with you, if you'll come forward, we got some folks who will pray with you. You don't have to pray alone. If you're hurting today, trying to make a right decision today, if we can help you, pray with you. We want to do that. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the incredible privilege of, that's mine to share the truth of your word today. God, thank you so much that you raised Jesus from the dead. And we are witnesses 
of this. Perhaps by faith for us, but we are witnesses of this. Father, I pray for the individual here today who, um, who may have never experienced your grace. But today, you're calling them. And they can't explain it. They feel the urge to do something with the truth they heard today. Would you pull them toward Jesus today? For the person who says, I don't have faith, even give them the faith to believe. Father, for all the rest of us, we Peters and Johns. Father, neither one of those guys was perfect. John was called the sons of thunder, and Peter denied Jesus. But Lord, you used them, and you can use us too. So, Father, help us to see through your eyes. See through your eyes the opportunities and ministries you give us. And may we, like Isaiah, say, here I am. Send me. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.